Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am, but Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, everyone. I hope you're all doing very well. And welcome to the Mummy Movie Podcast, where we are looking at the first episode of Moon Knight, named The Goldfish Problem. First things first, I just want to thank Holly Bryant for getting in contact with me and suggesting this series. It is one that I was aware of, after all, it is a very big Marvel series. And also, like, a lot of my friends are just often really surprised when they find out that I've never watched it. So, it's been on my list for a really long time, and I'm really happy that I'm finally getting around to watching it. This episode was released on March the 30th. 2022, which, fun little fact, was the day after my 30th birthday. So, in terms of the format of the episode, as I'm sure will be of no surprise to anyone by this point, we shall start with a little background information, then a section on the historical accuracy, and finally, I shall review the episode, and then rate it out of 10 as well. Okay, let's get on with my dramatic intro. Right. You are a troubled, yet very intelligent man whose knowledge on ancient Egypt is unmatched. As the days go on, things become stranger and stranger, as every time you fall asleep, you end up in odd places and often miss days at a time. However, above all of this, you are noticing something strange in a small aquarium in your apartment. Little do you know that the odd events surrounding you will be linked to the goldfish problem. Right, before we continue, I just want to say it was really hard to come up with a dramatic intro that had to end in the words, the goldfish problem. I mean, could they have picked a less dramatic title for this episode? But hey, <laughs> I did it. May not have been my best one ever, but I did it. Anyway, let's continue. Right, so as I kind of mentioned earlier, I'm going to look at the background information in this section. It's not going to be too long. There's just one or two points but I do think they are actually quite interesting. So to begin with, in one of the scenes in the museum, there's a QR code on the wall. This takes the viewer to a digital copy of Werewolf by Night, number 32. This was a comic from 1975, and it was also the first appearance of Moon Knight. 
I mean, I think that's pretty fun. I've said in the past that I really like Easter eggs like this. I feel they just show that a little extra detail's been put in, and it's just enough to make me smile a little bit, and sometimes that's all you need. In terms of the budget, each episode of Moon Knight cost $25 million, which as a whole means the entirety of the first season of Moon Knight cost $150 million. So we're not talking about a small budget here. Hardly surprising considering we're talking about a Disney Plus Marvel series. After all, Marvel has been dominating the box office for the last 20 years. In terms of the cast, Oscar Isaac plays the lead role, who is sort of a split between two different people, Mark Spector and Stephen Grant. For the sake of simplicity, I'm just going to refer to him as Mark in this episode. F. Murray Abram voices the god Konsu, who in the series is pronounced Konshu, and Ethan Hawke plays the villain and the follower of Amit the Devourer, Arthur Harrow. Right, so we've now arrived at the historical accuracy section. So as usual, I'm just going to go over the episode, saying what it does well, what it does poorly, and then talk about my overall feelings on whether, as a whole, the episode does a good job of being historically accurate. Okay, so I'm going to start with the thing that jumped out at me immediately, and that's the fact that they constantly call the god Konsu in the episode, Konshu. So Konshu is an incorrect pronunciation. It is supposed to be Konsu. But from my understanding, this was an artistic choice to make the name sound more mysterious. I personally don't get this. I don't understand why Konshu does sound more mysterious. Maybe I'm missing something. But this is a bit of a carryover from the actual comic books. On the upside, as, well, the title of the series suggests... They do link Konsu with the moon, and that's quite accurate. He was very strongly associated with the moon, much like Ra was associated with the sun. So Konsu is most famously associated with the city of Thebes in Egypt, so modern-day Luxor. And he's supposed to be the child of Amon and Mut, and they make up kind of like the trinity of gods in Thebes. Though this doesn't mean that he was not known in other parts of Egypt as well. And you do need to bear in mind that the Egyptians really didn't care about contradictions in their religion. So Egypt was a very conservative place. And I, when I say conservative, I mean to the extreme. And that's not to say they wouldn't introduce new ideas. We are, after all, talking about a time period of about 3,000 years. And it's kind of impossible for things not to change in that time. It's just they didn't get rid of the old ones when new ideas came in and so you tend to get a bit of a pile up and it doesn't matter if there's contradictions in them or not. So for instance, in the temple of Komombo, which is in a town about 50 kilometres north of Aswan, so in southern Egypt basically, Konsu is actually associated with the crocodile-headed god Sobek and also Hathor as well and he's kind of said to be their child instead. But anyway, I'm beginning to ramble a little bit, I feel. But the point is, the series is correct that Konsu is associated with the moon. His name actually meant the Wanderer, and that was because of the journey the moon takes across the sky during the night time. And basically, the light he casts as he travels across the sky is supposed to offer some protection to humanity. However, 
he's also supposed to be able to help both women and cattle to become fertile as well. So, I yeah, um, a bit of a random one there. I will say, though, that the way they depict Konsu in the series does have a lot of artistic license in it. And in a way, he almost seems to become a bit of an amalgamation of all of his different forms, as, you know, he could be depicted in different ways. So, to begin with, Konsu in the episode is shown with a kind of, like, bird skull head. As a sky god, Konsu was often shown with a bird head, more specifically a hawk, and I don't quite feel they get the right kind of bird in the film. It doesn't quite look right. Also, it wouldn't have been a bird skull, it would have been a bird head. But I guess at least they did get a bird of some kind. <laughs> when it comes to his body, Konsu in Moon Knight is covered in sort of very old and ragged looking bandages, as if he'd been mummified. When Konsu is depicted in human form, he is often shown as if he's just been mummified. However, the bandages typically look a lot fresher than the ones they have in the film. They've made it look a bit more kind of, I suppose, gritty and and old. Also, from the depictions I've seen at least, when Konsu is shown with a hawk head, he's normally wearing a, just like a kilt. In the episode, he has a staff that's got like a new moon at the top with a full moon inside of it. This symbol normally actually appears on his head, not on the top of his staff. Konsu instead typically holds a was scepter, which is normally held by certain deities as well as the pharaoh. Basically put, the depiction of Konsu in the film is not great, although I will admit he does look very cool. Moving away from Konsu, near the beginning of the film, Mark Spector explains the mummification process to a little gal in the museum. During this, he does specify that the heart was left inside the body during mummification, as it was needed for judgment during the weighing of the heart ceremony in the afterlife. This is accurate, yeah, that's correct. Basically puts the Egyptians believed that you thought with your heart, and that it was kind of almost the very entity of the person, and so it was left in the body. Fun little fact, because they believed you thought with your heart, they would actually extract the brain and just discard it. When it comes to the rest of the mummification process, Mark is a bit vague, and I, I think this is probably fair enough considering we're talking about an episode of something that's obviously got time constraints and that kind of thing. But I will say the way he it describes it almost makes it sound as if the Egyptian shoved a hook up the nose and then extracted the organs through the nose, which is a, an interesting image to say the least. I think this may be me reading into it a bit much, that's probably not what he was saying, but it's the way it kind of sounded in my head. Realistically, what the Egyptians did was they, they'd make an incision in the abdomen and they'd remove the organs from there, so they'd take out the, the lungs, the liver, the intestines and the kidney, and they'd go into canopic jars. I've spoken about the process in more detail in other episodes, so I'm just going to leave it there for now. But if you are interested, go and listen to the first episode of The Mummy 1959, as I do discuss it in a fair amount of detail there, I feel. One cool thing here, though, is that Mark does specify that the heart was also needed for entering the field of reeds. And yeah, that's absolutely correct, it is. So, I've spoken about the field of reeds a little bit before, but essentially in the 
underworld, there's several caverns that Ra passes through each night. And the idea is that the dead reside in these caverns. As Ra passes through these caverns, his light brings all of the dead to life, and in the one hour it takes him to cross the cavern, they live for an entire lifetime. And basically, this is a nightly occurrence. But ultimately, the way to get to the Field of Reeds was to have your heart with you when you die, and it gets weighed on the scales in, during the weighing of the heart ceremony. If you are pure of heart, then you go off to the Field of Reeds. If you are not pure of heart, as will be discussed a little later, your heart gets torn apart by a terrible goddess named Amit the Devourer. Later on in this scene, um, we, we find out that Mark basically works in the gift shop for the museum. And during this scene, he picks up a toy hippo and calls it Towerette. Yeah, this is Towerette. So Towerette's basically a goddess in ancient Egypt who's sort of associated with childbirth and fertility. But she is usually shown in the form of a hippo. He then goes to talk about one of the posters in the museum, which is supposed to show the Iliad of the Egyptian gods. And he basically says that they've made a mistake because there's only seven gods on the poster, when in reality there's nine gods in the Iliad. Yeah, again, that's correct. Um, so the one he's talking about comes from Heliopolis, which was an ancient city whose ruins today can be found sort of on the outskirts of Cairo. And this was made up of Shu, Atom, Tefnut, Geb, Newt, Osiris, Isis, Set, and Nethys. And they were basically some of the main gods that were worshipped in the area. The final thing I want to talk about is, well, sort of the part the villain plays in this episode. So the villain is named Arthur Harrow, and he's a follower of the goddess Amit. At one point in the film, when Mark goes to sleep, he basically wakes up in a field and gets shot at. We then find out that the people shooting at him are the worshippers of Amit. So, to begin with, Amit was a real Egyptian goddess. She was often called Amit the Devourer, and she was typically made up of the forequarters of a lion, the hindquarters of a hippopotamus, and the head of a crocodile. And these are supposed to be some of like the most fearsome beasts in ancient Egypt. The episode is also correct that she plays a big part in the weighing of the heart ceremony, as basically she was the creature that tore the unworthy apart, meaning they were not able to go to the afterlife and they would cease to exist. However, the film does seem to suggest there was a cult to Amit, and that's not the case. She never had a cult in ancient Egypt. She was never worshipped in the typical way. The film also suggests that Amit was kind of almost in charge of the entire ceremony. And again, that's completely incorrect. Her part was literally just to tear apart the hearts of the unworthy so that they would cease to exist. That's all she did. Um, in terms of who resided over the weighing of the heart ceremony, that depends on the time period, but typically it would be Osiris. Sometimes it would be Ra, the sun god, but there are no instances of it being Amit. Later in the episode, the villain Arthur claims that Amit grew weary of having to wait for evildoers to commit their sins before punishing them, and that if Amit had remained around, people like Hitler and Pol Potts would never have been able to do the terrible things that they did. 
because she was able to punish people before they even got a chance to do anything wrong. No, that's completely and utterly incorrect. Amit had nothing to do with predicting the future. All she did was tear apart the hearts of the deceased so they would cease to exist. Arthur then goes on to claim that Amit was betrayed by the other gods. Again, no, completely incorrect. There's nothing in Egyptian mythology about that. Overall, I would say Moonlight was a mixed bag when it came to historical accuracy. There were some bits that show that research was done here. Like, for instance, when they're talking about the heart not being removed from the body during mummification, or the fact that the heart is needed for entry into the field of reeds. That stuff's all good. It's it's all pretty accurate. Um, also, when you have Mark talking about the the Iliad being made up of nine gods, again, really accurate. And there's also a few bits that are quite nice little details spread throughout the episode that I haven't necessarily talked about, but are appreciated. For instance, when Arthur's talking about Amit the Devourer, it's quite noticeable he's standing next to an image of Amit, and he even points this out. But on top of that, if you look into the background, you can see a depiction of Tauret and one of the pillars. And again, that's a nice callback to earlier on in the episode. So there are little things here that are really cool. But there's also some weird parts that are wrong. Like, for instance, everything about Amit in this in this episode is a bit bizarre and just not really correct. It is It is true she was very important during the weighing of the heart ceremony, but she certainly didn't reside over it. Um, she certainly couldn't see into the future or anything like that. And also when it comes to the depictions of the Egyptian gods in the film, well, especially when it comes to Konsu, they're a little bit funky. I, I mean, I can forgive this because ultimately what we're watching here is, you know, it's an episode of something that was made for entertainment. So making him look a bit kind of older and more ragged does look quite cool. So fair enough, but it's not an accurate depiction. I think overall, I would say... In the grander scheme of things when it comes to film and TV, Moonlight does do a better job than most, but it's still far from accurate. It is quite clear they've got some Egyptologists working on set. There's a lot of little things that you notice as you watch that are quite nice and appreciated, but I also do feel they probably weren't always listened to, and sometimes artistic license ultimately wins out and they go in that direction instead and that's not me knocking the series by any means um this series was made for entertainment so they did what they thought was most entertaining i think also you've got to bear in mind this was made from a comic book so you've also got to appease the fans of that comic book and not everything's going to be accurate in the comic book it's just for this particular section it does make it less accurate Okay, we have now arrived at the review section. So here I'm just going to talk about what I liked in the episode, what I disliked, and then rate it out of 10 as well. So to start with, I will say the whole thing was quite mysterious. Like you never entirely got what was going on, but I mean that as a compliment. I think it was a good thing. So for instance, at the beginning of the episode, we see a man filling his shoes with glass and walking off. Then immediately after, there's a scene where our main character wakes up. 
He's like chained to his bed. There's sand surrounding his bed. And there's also a bit of tape on the door. And this just kind of makes you want to keep watching. You want to see why his room is set up in this way. It kind of immediately gives you the signs that he's quite a troubled man. But you want to know why. And ultimately, as this is the first episode of a series, that's really good. You want there to be more sort of questions than answers, I feel. Because, you, it may, you know, its job is to make you watch the next episode. I did also just quite like Mark, the main character. I thought he did come across as a bit, like I said, troubled, but well-meaning. And that that's good. That's ultimately what you want from a hero. You want them to be flawed, but good, basically. And I quite like there's one particular scene where he's talking to a human statue. And he's kind of using him as a bit of an echo chamber. It feels almost like he's talking to this human statue because he knows it won't answer back. And maybe this is me inferring and adding on to it things that aren't there, but it kind of almost made it feel as if Mark wants to grow as a person, but he's scared. And that's why he's talking to this human statue. I'm sort of hoping we do see the human statue again, because I think it'll be quite good if we see, for like maybe the next couple of episodes, Mark constantly talking to this human statue to try and figure things out until one day the statue turns around and just goes, look, and then answers back and it could really throw Mark and maybe that could lead to some sort of progression in his character. Again, I've not watched Ford in this series, but that's what I'm kind of hoping happens because I think that will be quite interesting, actually. But on top of that, the idea of Mark just talking to a human statue is undeniably funny. I just hope that's not its only purpose. When it comes to the villain, although his take on Amit is highly inaccurate, I do think he's actually a pretty good character. He's not my favourite villain ever yet, but again, it's only the first episode. But one thing I do quite like about him is that throughout the episode, he, he judges several people in a kind of like mini weighing of the heart ceremony. And we see he's got like a tattoo on his arm and it, it moves back and forward as he's doing this. And I think that's just a nice little detail. But also the, the first scene where we see Mark meet Arthur, you know, the main villain, I really like that scene. So basically Mark wakes up in a field, he gets shot at and he runs into what's essentially a town centre. And it's here that he meets with Arthur and he's got to give like a scarab back to Arthur, but the god Konsu is controlling him and forcing him to not give it back. The whole scene I thought was quite funny, but it was also intriguing because Mark keeps having these blackouts and when he wakes up, people are like dead all around him or there's crashed cars and things like that it's just a really good scene and again it's something that made me want to keep watching it's something that kept me interested although I'm not going to discuss this next point too much because essentially I don't want to give too many spoilers for people who you know may have not watched this and may want to watch it off of this review who knows hopefully someone will Towards the end of the episode, we do find out why he's chained to his bed. We do find out why there's sand surrounding his bed. And we do find out why there's tape on the door. And at this point, you do realise that in a weird kind of mad way, it is all quite logical. But the way they do it also kind of introduces more questions off of the back of it, which is exactly what you want at this point in the series. Because like I said... You want the viewer to carry on watching, and this episode did a really good job of that. Finally, I will say, when it comes to the sort of blackouts that Arthur experiences, 
Sometimes they seem to make him go forward several days at a time. And this element really does make you feel quite sorry for him, especially, small spoiler I suppose, but there's one point where he's got a date with this woman from the museum, and ultimately it leads to him completely missing their date through no fault of his own. I will admit, I felt really sorry for him at this point, because you just see how much this is affecting his life, you see how much it is affecting his friendship and his, his love life. It's, it's really sad, actually. It's basically keeping him almost in stasis in a way. So ultimately what we have here is a very odd and troubled character who's well-meaning and sort of weirdly relatable as well. Like he's dealing with the same troubles as everyone, but he's just got this added obstacle in his way. Basically put, he's very easy to root for. In terms of the reviews for this episode, on Rotten Tomatoes it has 92%. And the general consensus is that Oscar Isaac puts in a phenomenal performance, which helps to make up for the fact that the whole episode asks more questions than it answers. As I've already stated, I think the episode asking more questions than it answers is actually a good thing as it leads to more intrigue for the next episodes. But I do agree that Oscar Isaac put in a phenomenal performance. I thought he was really good in this role. In terms of IMDb, this has got an 8.1 out of 10. And people seem to have liked the Egyptian theme, which, well, <laughs> obviously that makes me very happy given the subject matter of this podcast. But people also seem to like the chaotic nature of the episode, feeling that it was never too overpowering, but it was just the right amount. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. I think that pretty much is spot on. One thing that a few people did complain about that I noticed was the CGI being a bit subpar in the episode. And I will admit, I do agree a bit. I found, I noticed it first during the pandemic, um, first with Shang-Chi, that Marvel do seem to have downgraded their CGI a little bit. At least I think they have. At first, I did put this down to the fact that there was a pandemic going on because, I mean, that's fair enough. Everyone's got to make sacrifices here and there. But I don't really feel that it's gotten any better since then either. And it is one area I really do wish they'd start doing more with because it's such an important element of Marvel series. Like, I know I've said in the past that I'm not a huge fan of CGI, but it's got its place and... It is really necessary for, for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So they do need to be putting in more effort, I feel, there. At least, you know, that's my opinion anyway. In terms of my score for this, I would probably give it an 8 out of 10. I don't have that many complaints about it, to be honest. I just thought it was a very solid opener for the series. That made me want to watch on. I think it was pretty damn good, to be honest. Thank you very much for listening. I do hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you have, then please consider liking, uh, following, leaving a comment. It does really help this podcast. And join me on Thursday, where we shall be looking at Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And then join me again on Monday, where we'll be looking at the second episode of Moon Knight. I hope you all have a fantastic week and see you then.
Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.